Hi everyone, I'm Hef, play-by-play from the Security Metrics Threat Intelligence Center. We have got an exciting action-packed, I would call it action-packed episode. Oh yeah, yeah you're it's not always action-packed with us. We got Noah here, and I, I say you're the Culver's expert. Have you ever been to Culver's restaurant? It is. He knows everything about their menu, and he is here with Color Commentary, and we got some top stories going on. The retirement party for Internet Explorer... Man, I, it's sad, man. 25 years. I had a relationship with Internet Explorer. No, actually. Whoa. I, I probably used <laughs> Internet Explorer for like maybe five years. Uh, yeah, sad to see that go. M1 Apple hardware vulnerability. Uh-oh, that's not cool. And then we got to talk about the largest botnet ever on record. Denial of service, incredible numbers here we're going to share with you. Felina, QBot ransomware, NetWalker ransomware, and... The elections are coming up. Could there be interference? Coming to you from the lodge at the base of the Silicon Slopes here in beautiful Utah. Our goal is to keep you current with the changing threat landscape. Try to help you see all the threats you've been missing. Get you that peace of mind. Take a take an intelligent approach to cybersecurity. Noah, hit him with that tagline, buddy. And never have a false sense of security. Here we go. So Noah, what's your favorite old piece of technology that's out there? I have a Mac Classic that functions perfectly, and I loved playing around with it a few years ago when I got it. It's just a great kind of talking piece. How about yourself? You know, I, I got to tell you, man, I grew up in the era of uh, talking about using news groups and you know bulletin boards and that kind of stuff, man. So before. We had Internet Explorer. That mm -hmm. was the way we surfed the web, man. And I oh, would yeah. download like pictures and like 50 million parts and, <laughs> and then have to, you know, put them all together. And I, there was always like one file that got corrupted, man. That's my old favorite tech, man, the news groups. But we are today talking about the death, the retirement, ah, Internet Explorer, man. Goodbye. Either famous or infamous Internet Explorer, depending on who you are. Yeah. The well-known Chrome installer. I feel like everybody, before they got rid of Internet Explorer, they downloaded some other web browser through Internet Explorer. The memes have just been incredible, man. I mean, they're making you laugh, <laughs> you know, saying goodbye to Internet Explorer. I just, if you get a chance, folks, go on the web and check out some of the funny memes that are out there about the end of Internet Explorer. But, you know, Noah, it's that time, right? I mean, it's had a good run. 25 years. They they baked yeah. it into Windows 95. So, it, like, I heard at one point something like 90% of all people were using... Uh, Internet Explorer. It's wow. just crazy numbers, yeah. man. All right, Noah. So here's the other thing, man. Tons and tons of high severity vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. We're talking about hitting SAP. Uh, Citrix got some hit. Got hit with some some real bad vulnerabilities. You can actually reset admin prep passwords in Citrix, which is crazy. That's and of course, good. Confluence. <laughs> uh, you had talked about this last week. What's going on with Confluence? Yeah. So there was this big vulnerability in Confluence Server and Confluence Data Center. And um, I guess this allowed remote code execution. So big uh-oh. Yeah. And the good thing is Atlassian, who makes Confluence, they do have a patch out available. So if you have any of those things in your environment, SAP, Citrix, Confluence, get them patched, folks. But not only that, but Splunk also uh, out of band. Basically, there's an out of band patch available for it, which is unusual. And if you, a lot of people use Splunk, a lot of companies use Splunk. What is Splunk? Yeah, so Splunk is a security information and event management platform. It's also just a kind of a data 
visualization kind of platform. You can use it for a lot of things, but what we know it most for is in terms of security, for viewing security events and keeping track of those, being able to triage them. So with Splunk and with uh, Confluence, those are both kind of like big enterprise things that are very common to see yeah. in big companies. So it's shocking that you know both of them had something in the in the same week. Yeah, with Splunk, it's their enterprise deployment servers that were hit, uh, and and they've actually released an update for it. So again, get out there, folks, get patched mm-hmm. and take a look at it. This is the one that really caught my attention this week is this Apple M1 chip. And everybody, you know, everybody talks about Apple and some people get into this like false sense of security that, oh, Apple can't be hacked. There's no <sighs> malware on Apple. You know, I heard that at Best Buy not really? not that long ago. There was this lady and she's like, oh, the Windows computers are are so much cheaper. I should get Windows. And the employee was like, oh, no, no. If you get a Mac, there's no malware for Macs. And I wanted to chime in and say, like, actually, there's more new malware being created for Macs than there is for Windows. And you know where you see that noise? You see that in the zero days. The number of zero days released for Apple products this past year has just exploded. Mm -hmm. And in the past with threat actors, it was always... It was always like the threat actors were going after Windows machines. And now what we're seeing trend lines is we're seeing more and more zero days for Linux and Apple. And uh, and of course, now these MIT researchers, they basically said, hey, we found a hardware vulnerability in the Apple M1 chip. Can you kind of explain what the heck was going on there? Yeah, so I guess this vulnerability, it makes it possible to guess a value for the pointer authentication code, the PAC, and reveal whether the guess was correct or not via a hardware side channel. So this might be a little bit above my knowledge grade, but it sounds pretty bad. Yeah, and because this is a hardware mechanism attack, there's no software patch available, and, and and no software patch could potentially even ever fix this. So what is the 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 solutions is what we're asking for. And again, the the, the key takeaway here, folks, is hardware vulnerabilities are always going to exist. And they do hit Apple products. This is not rare, especially now with this new Apple One chip, M1 chip. So if you happen to have a new Apple computer, just be aware of it that it's out there. We'll give you an update as things as things progress in this story. But fascinating stuff, guys. I I love talking about denial of service attacks, Noah. And I don't know what it is about the numbers, but this one record-breaking 26 million RPS denial of service attack. This was reported from Cloudflare, and they have a lot of clients. So, do you know who Cloudflare is? Yeah, Cloudflare is a huge uh, cloud provider. Uh, yeah, and these guys have a lot of clients, and one of their clients was hit with a this record-breaking 26 million. To give you some, some perspective here, this is 26 million requests per second. And that's what a denial of service attack is. Can you kind of explain what a DDoS attack is for the audience? Yeah. So there's a DOS attack, which is a denial of service. And that's where somebody kind of spams you with traffic to flood up your network and prevent your systems from working. And then there's uh, distributed denial of service, DDoS. And that's where a ton of different uh, maybe bots in a botnet or different computers are all doing this at once to one target. And it works so much better because it's harder to block each individual IP that's attacking you. Yeah. And 
yeah, whoever was the victim of this really must have uh, made a botmaster angry with a really big botnet. <laughs> you have angered the bot gods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, check this out, folks. I mean, to give you some perspective, right, a botnet of about 730,000 devices is roughly generating about 1 million requests per second. Now, mm-hmm. this in this case, no, it's 26 million requests per second and that's like four thousand times stronger man yeah the the volume of that is just mind-blowing how are they able to do that because in a lot of uh, botnet attacks they're simply just taking over cameras rogue cameras rogue iot devices but in this story we understand that they're now doing something a little bit different Oh, what are they? What is well, this? Botnet I will doing tell you. Thank you for asking. I'd love I'm so to glad know. you asked that question. They are hijacking cloud resources, and oh. that is how they're able to amplify this type Ooh. of attack. It's actually really scary when you think about it. How big these attacks could get? But I think last month, Noah, I heard that Cloudflare had protected a client with about. 15 million requests per second denial of service attack. Wow. And here we are a month later, 26 million. Uh, this is just insanity. You can take a look at this chart here. About 30 seconds, in about 30 seconds, the botnet generated about 212 million HTTPS requests. That's a that's a unique vector. Normally you don't hear HTTPS requests being done. It's very, very much of a technical denial of service attack. What they're saying is 1,500 networks were involved in this attack, 121 different countries, including the U.S., Brazil, Russia. They were the top source countries. So again, fascinating stuff, folks. This is a great trend that you are going to see and hear a lot more about here in the coming year, these increased uh, botnet attacks using cloud resources, hijacked cloud resources. So Got to talk about another story. I, I was at RSA this past week. Noah, it was phenomenal, man. Uh, it was just intense. Uh, I got to tell you, though, the, the people that were on stage that had the most talking points, it seemed to be CISA. It seemed to be the Department of Justice, FBI. Those guys were up there. And you know one thing they talked about? People not reporting incidents. Can you believe that? Companies, why I believe would they do it. that? Can you imagine yeah. that? Uh, you know, I honestly, I believe that a lot of these incidents go unreported because businesses are kind of embarrassed. Yeah. They don't want to face the public scrutiny of coming out and saying that they were hacked. No one wants to admit they're wrong. And a business probably doesn't want to admit they're wrong if it could, you know, negatively affect them and their shareholders. So well I could see this is definitely a big issue. And you think about it too, Noah. I mean, a lot of the industries, they don't have mandatory reporting requirements. So unlike yeah. the healthcare industry, which does have mandatory reporting requirements and banking sector, you have other industries that, you know, that if you're a restaurant, you don't really have to report that you've been hit with a mm-hmm. ransomware. But does it make good business sense, folks? I mean, if you have customers and you want to build trust with them... I, I got to tell you, I think I would be in the court of reporting and same. It's, it's the right yeah, thing to do. Here. But what CISA came out and said at, at RSA this past week was, yeah, you know, we had the NetWalker ransomware and only 25%, actually less than 25% of the NetWalker ransomware victims actually reported being hit with <laughs> ra- with this ransomware, which is a mind-blowing number. Now, you're probably saying to yeah. yourself that you're at home there following along well, why does that even matter? Why does the FBI or the Department of Justice care if it gets reported or not? And, and there's some valid reasons why you'd want to report this stuff. Mm-hmm. So what the FBI is saying, 
they had a, about 115 or so NetWalker victims actually report that they they were hit with NetWalker. And they're saying, and the FBI is saying, well, in the U.S., we think we had about 450 potential victims. And here it is. We only have 115 reported. Mm-hmm. Why is that important, Noah, that they report? So that way we can kind of gather indicators of compromise. We can build a model of how this attacker works and stop them. Yeah. And and what's interesting about this whole incident is the FBI, when they have that treasure trove of information, they can reverse engineer NetWalker ransomware. And not just NetWalker, but any type of ransomware. Mm-hmm. It gives them more knowledge and data that they then share with us here in the private sector. So I, I don't know if you knew this, Noah, but out of NetWalker ransomware, there's like a thousand different builds, thousand different flavors, folks, of NetWalker. That's a lot. And if the FBI has that data because it's being reported, they can then investigate and, and get mm-hmm. more information. So interesting, too, with NetWalker is the FBI actually has a ton of data from their backend servers, which they got from Bulgaria in 2020. So they do have a lot of data points, but they could use even more when you know there's a thousand different builds of it. So, uh, yeah, folks, I got to tell you, it's the right thing to do. Report it. And I, I thought that was fascinating at uh, at, at there. But there is some changes, though, in the in the ransomware landscape. The ransomware landscape is shifting. Uh, we are seeing more movement away from direct email threats to now indirect threats, where email used to be the primary threat vector, and now what we're seeing is it's just one part of the entire attack chain that you're seeing. I, I think in the past, Noah, we have talked about ransomware affiliates and these yep. uh, initial access brokers. Yeah. Yet making basically what they're doing is they're facilitating and distributing the back doors via malicious links. And th- there's some process involved in this where they get into the environment, then they resell the access to the popped uh, business. Yeah. And sometimes they get a cut of that ransom payment and sometimes they just get a flat fee. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how the ransomware environment has changed. And we're now seeing less and less ransomware being distributed directly via email. Uh, I've heard some numbers like uh, that something like 95% of all ransomware has a first stage email payload. Um, it just crazy, crazy numbers. There's actually a, a lot going on here and a lot to process. But Felina, for example, Felina Windows Zero Day, we talked about that in the last episode where what we're finding right now in the news and in our own investigations is that it's being used to distribute QBot malware, which takes advantage of these initial access brokers to get into the environment. You're talking about typically a Word document. All right, so we're going to put up a great graphic right now. It, it's it's using the Rook ransomware as an example, but it's similar to how Felina Windows, the zero day gets spread through with the QBot malware. Essentially what you have here is you have this initial access broker's getting into the environment. They may send an email. That email contains an office document. As you see in the graphic here, the user downloads the document and enables the macros. And we have talked previously in other episodes with macros are enabled in these Word documents. Some dangerous things happen. And what's crazy about Felina is it works without macros at all. So you can completely disable macros and Felina can still own your system. That's insanity. 
So now the threat actor has got backdoor access to start exfiltrating system data. And this is where the story gets really interesting because the initial access broker then resells the access to another threat actor. So again, they're acting as the broker. The actor then will come in and they will typically just deploy something like Cobalt Strike, which is that command and control infrastructure. The, they get the backdoor access. They can move laterally. And oftentimes in these cases, the threat actor will try to get access to the uh, active directory. They will try to get admin credentials. And once that that happens, Noah, man, it's game over, buddy. It's, you know, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. yeah. Once they can get in there and they can take over the active directory, they can send out emails to all employees, make, make it look legit. They can deploy the, the ransomware to any domain joined workstation. It's a, it's a nasty, nasty stuff. But again, this is not going away. This concept of initial access brokers and using it to spread malware. So fascinating stuff. All right. This is a, a quick graphic as well. This also came from Proofpoint, both of these graphics that we're showing you, where you see the threat actor categories. And what I like about this, Noah, is it shows you the connections to the malware, and then it shows you the connections into the ransomware. So very, very small sampling here, courtesy of Proofpoint, of the observed threat actors, the initial access payloads they deliver, and then, of course, the actual associated ransomware that gets deployed so very cool piece of threat intelligence yeah and we're glad we could share it with you thank you proof point for this graphic a couple other things Noah. you know what keeps me up at night it it always changes every single day if it's not my kids keeping me up at night it's my dog or my cat (laughs) but i'm going to talk about election interference for a moment because the elections are coming up and these midterms are coming up and i thought it was interesting at rsa this past week uh the nsa and and they were talking about how You know, we've got this new election security leaders. They actually have a a task force for securing our elections across the country, trying to protect the midterms elections from foreign interference. And they got new leaders, right? Uh, Thankfully, they got new leaders. This group actually started in, in 2018. They rechristened themselves in 2020 as the Election Security Group, otherwise known as ESG. Man, those uh, those acronyms are everywhere. Anyway, what we're learning is, that, you know, it's basically 200 days or so before our nation goes to vote for the midterms. And how secure are we is the question that a lot of people have on their mind. The reality is, is the NSA and Cyber Top Command, they are on top of things. That's Nothing good. to fear here, folks. Nothing to see. Move along. Move along. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff, man. I always like learning about these elections and how they secure them. All right, we got uh, we got some breaches in the news, and I, there's two breaches in particular that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Noah, I think the first one is this Massachusetts healthcare group. Oh, this is horrible. Yeah. yeah. So this is the personal data of two million people that has been leaked after a Massachusetts healthcare group. This is like a collection of hospitals and medical offices. They were breached, and those two million records are all now. Up for sale or online or something? Yeah, and it horrible. Not just, not just for sale, but full names, social security numbers, dates of birth, home addresses, diagnosis, billing information, medical treatment. That's the stuff that hurts, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is our friends and family, right? I mean, it, again, it's on the East Coast, but we're all we're all one team here, folks. Their systems were breached in March. And it wasn't March 7th through the 21st. It wasn't until their IT team discovered it March 28th that they finally put out a security alert around it. This is exactly what we do at Security Metrics. We help a business just like this. We have plenty of healthcare clients just like this that we could have helped. We could have protected these guys, you know, and it's heartbreaking hearing a story like that. Another story that caught the news. We we talked about plenty about all these schools, Noah, man. Oh, yeah. We've been talking about schools every week, it seems like. 
it's just horrible that these vulnerable people, you know, medical records, and then also children. Children. children oh, man. man. But, you know, for the, for the kids, some of the kids are like, oh, final exams have been canceled. Very good. I'm so <laughs> excited. But what happens to graduation, man? Like, nobody talks oh, about that. Man, but yeah. you know how a lot of these schools are getting popped? Is these third-party software, like these grading platforms, Google Classroom, all that kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff, man, that you just, you wish they would have had more controls in place to stop yeah. this kind of stuff. Because, I mean, these are the most vulnerable. These school districts, a lot of them don't have money. They can't afford cybersecurity. And that's where a company like Security Metrics comes into play. We do it. We keep you above the security poverty line. Uh, some real fascinating research coming out of the University of Hamburg, Wi-Fi mm-hmm. probing. I know this is something that you're into. You're always into yeah. I'm really into like the Wi-Fi pineapple and using that kind of stuff. And this research is very similar to research that Hack5, the company behind yeah. the Wi-Fi pineapple, did like years ago too. Could you talk about this this uh, particular research? Because I, I thought it was interesting how they're doing it via Wi-Fi probe requests mm-hmm. and how they're able to get, what kind of information can they get when these researchers were doing these probe requests? Yeah, so it looks like these mobile devices use probe requests to kind of receive information about what Wi-Fi networks are nearby and connect to them. So uh, the attackers are able to sniff this network traffic and use these requests to track and identify devices and even pinpoint their location if you have multiple yeah. setups. I, I thought it was interesting how they were able to trilateral rate. I can never pronounce that word, <laughs> folks. All right. The location of a device with the accuracy of up to 1.5 meters. But what was more fascinating in this story, Noah, was the type of data they found in their research because they were finding stuff like usernames and passwords that were in the SSID, which is crazy because that stuff you wouldn't actually think would be in there. They they had found something like 106 distinct first name and last names, email addresses, uh, home locations. uh, It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely insane. Where I find the story really gets interesting is when you talk about GDPR. Now, this happened in the University of Hamburg and you're talking about SSIDs, which are not under the classification, as I understand it, of GDPR. So what is considered personal data from unlawful collection and processing is part of that GDPR. They're going to have some serious explaining to do. They may have to adjust GDPR to now include SSIDs and, and, and that stuff. So fascinating stuff. And the other thing that comes out of this too, a lot of stores, they track you. Uh, they track you, you know, they send you coupons. You, I think you told me that story about going into Target or something and and... Uh, you know, you're searching for something about being pregnant and then Target sends you a coupon. Oh, I heard about that in the news. I think I did tell you. Yeah. yeah. And then the it's dad crazy. found out about it. He's like, you're pregnant? It's like somebody found out that they were pregnant based on Target's specified ads. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother story. Yeah. But that's that's cool. another story for another time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got to move on, though. We don't, we don't have much time <laughs> left here in the story. You guys have some Russian news. We haven't talked about Russian news lately, guys. And, it, and it's, it's kind of been a weird thing. It's like heating up, but it's not heating up. Of course, Anonymous is keeping things busy. A lot of people are saying, the European military heads know, they're like, oh, Russia is very, very unexpectedly poor at cyber war. <laughs> but the reality is, man, uh, the U.S. is saying, man, we are warning. We are in potential for some severe cyber attacks from Russia. And then Russia comes out and says, yeah, there could be a huge military clash in cyber attacks against us. Um, And specifically, 
what was the U.S. is doing, according to Russia, the Russian newspaper said, well, they're using the Zelensky regime and the IT army to cr- carry out these computer attacks as a battering ram in preparation to make us weaker for the U.S. to come in and attack. So really, just a militarization, Noah, of the information space is fascinating stuff. So that's been the top, that's been a top story in the Russian news. Uh, the FBI did take down uh, one of the Ukraine IT Army's collaborators. Uh, they were saying that it was a uh, basically a threat. There are websites that are trafficking stolen personal information. They have to be taken down. Doesn't matter that they're part of the IT Army. Yeah, it doesn't matter what your morals are, what your motivations are. If you're hacking people, that is illegal in the United States of America. Americans have been prosecuted and gone to jail for hacking Russians. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, maybe don't do that if you don't want to stay it. out of jail. <laughs> Not a good idea. Um, anonymous using drone attacks. Have you seen anything about this? They they actually they got the playbook for the drone attacks for Russia. All right, That's so cool. They got their their <laughs> plans, their drone plans, their drone tactics. All have been hacked and put up on the web. Thank you, anonymous, for that information. Uh, Twenty six different ministries, banks of the Belarusian government have been restricted very much. Uh, they're getting hit with a lot of attacks. Belarus. Also, a Russian radio station was broadcasting the Ukrainian national anthem. We always love stories like that. We covered a lot of that kind of stuff yeah. early on in this conflict. We only have enough time to cover so much. I hope you got some value from it today. Please hit the like button, share, subscribe, leave a comment if you find a story interesting, and, and we'll try to respond to you. I'm Hef. I'm Noah. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching.